chapter seven of barry blake of the flying fortress by gaylord dubois this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter seven raid on Rabal. the stop at freetown was brief chiefly for gas and a bit of rest for rosie's crew shortly after noon the big bomber took off again headed for Accra, six hundred miles to the eastward there the pan-american lines had everything to do a complete servicing job captain o'grady landed his ship just before the sudden equatorial night shut down a two-day rest put rosy in first-class shape her engines were thoroughly broken in her mighty framework had been tested in action now it remained for her guns and gun turrets to be tried out under combat conditions and her crew as captain tex o'grady glanced at their keen confident young faces he knew he could depend on them they'd meet danger with a grin of defiance and their cool efficiency would whittle down any odds they might meet six thousand miles still remained between them and the indian battlefront to which they had been ordered the route would lie across nigeria to lake chad then northwest to the egyptian sudan and down the nile to cairo from there they would fly eastward in easy hops over iran and india till they reached their assigned base that was the plan but in wartime the plans of mice and men are especially subject to change a few hours before this take-off from Accra, radioed orders reached captain o'grady to head for australia and the south pacific heavy bombers were more urgently needed there it appeared and that meant sweet rosie o'grady the new orders involved a greatly changed route from now on captain o'grady and his crew would be flying below the equator heading southeast they would have to cross the great belgian congo into east africa before stopping to refuel as soon as fred marmon learned that he gave his quadruplets an extra careful inspection a forced landing in those all but trackless jungles was something he hated to contemplate from Accra, the flying fortress took off with all gas tanks full nine hundred miles across the gulf of guinea she roared to liberville where the fighting french made up her depleted fuel in the air again she swept in a few hours over the vast territory that took h m stanley years to explore twice she crossed the mighty congo river then the five hundred mile expanse of late tanganyika lay below watch out for elephants and giraffes boys came the old man's humorous drawl this is the country all the animal crackers come from i'll take rosie down low enough so that you can see them there was a general laugh but as captain o'grady nosed his ship down to a thousand feet the crew really started to look perhaps the old man wasn't kidding after all the dense masses of green forest broke up into small patches lush grazing lands appeared with here and there a clump of trees farther on stretched a dry plain spotted with the green of an occasional water-hole as they neared one of these barry blake gave a shout there are your elephants captain he exclaimed we interrupted their drink i see a bunch of ostriches on the run too ostriches ha <laughs> tex o'grady chuckled we're not that near to australia bub those long-necked critters you see are giraffes want me to prove it to you he shoved the stick forward as the giant plane dipped down to within two hundred feet of them the frightened giraffes scattered like sheep barry could see their long pathetic necks swaying like masts as they turned this way or that seconds later the herd was far behind 
when we reach australia lieutenant curly levitt's voice murmured in the headphones i'll buy you a beautiful big picture book and you can learn that g stands for giraffe and e for elephant and m for the little monkey who didn't know which was which a howl of merriment from the others who were listening in made barry's ears tingle okay okay i asked for it he admitted ruefully and for the next hour he felt like a high school kid who has pulled the prize boner of the week in class the sensation wasn't comfortable yet it went farther than anything that had happened yet to make him feel at one with the other members of the crew these men he realized weren't simply a detachment of non-coms and officers they were a team a family an organism knit together by closer bonds than their assigned duties every last one of them was a brother to the rest regardless of race or rank it was dark when the flying fortress reached dar es salaam on the east coast the next day after servicing the rosie o'grady hopped off across the mozambique channel that same afternoon she landed at tananarivo madagascar's mountain capital where the fighting french had recently improved the landing field to take care of heavy planes this is the last land we'll see for three thousand odd miles o'grady informed his crew next stop will be broome australia marmon and jackson you make an especially close check on the engines take your time about it better to spend an extra day here than a month on rubber rafts somewhere in the indian ocean by noon of the third day fred and cracker had checked and rechecked everything some of the care they took was really unnecessary when they had finished however the bomber's power plant was as perfect as human skill could make it the fuel tanks were full food and water for a thirty-hour trip were aboard but no bombs to allow a safe margin in case of bad weather the ship must fly as light as possible and save her gas they took off just at dawn soon they were out of sight of land and from then on the trip became a long fight against boredom half of the way they flew on two engines to economize on gas the big bomber loafed along at five thousand feet except on two occasions when she sighted squalls and had to dodge them before the trip was ended most of the rosie's crew would have welcomed a storm to break the monotony they landed at broome on australia's southwest tip with plenty of gas to spare the next day they headed northeastward across the continent stopping at an american base in northern queensland they gassed up and hopped off on the last leg of their long flight to the battle zone their base when they found it was still being carved out of the new guinea jungle with the help of native labor on the dirt runway old man o'grady set his ship down like a cat on velvet the moment she stopped he let out an old-time rebel yell when barry and fred marmon climbed out last after making their final checks the rosy's red-haired engineer looked scornfully around him in mock disgust he stared at a group of men filling in a big raw hole with shovels look lieutenant he snorted this is what we came three-quarters of the way round the globe to find a potato patch in the backwoods yes retorted barry with a grim smile those boys aren't planting spuds fred they're filling in a new shell hole the japs must have dropped a few of tojo's calling cards just a little before we landed the japs called again that night this time the cards that they dropped were shells from a cruiser that had sneaked close to the shore in the dark hours 
five miles away she let loose with her heaviest guns her aim was surprisingly accurate to the rosie o'grady's crew the stuff seemed to be exploding all around their tent the screaming of shells each followed instantly by an earth-shattering blast produced a nightmare of horror for the unseasoned men not one of them gave way to fear however the most upset man in the tent was tex o'grady who paced up and down between the cots worrying about his ship and fighting mosquitoes he couldn't get rosie into the air because the field had no lights as yet if i knew this confounded field better he fumed i'd take off and get her safe upstairs but except for those shell flashes it's as dark as the inside of a cow i'd only ground loop whang a shell burst nearer than anyone before it tossed chunks of earth through the open flap some dirt must have struck o'grady in the mouth barry guessed from the way the old man sputtered and spat better get your head down captain curly levitt spoke up you're not as big a target as rosie but you'll be safer on your cot the shelling stopped as suddenly as it had started later barry learned that a pair of motor torpedo boats had routed the jap cruiser with two gaping holes below her waterline the damage to ships on the flying field was comparatively light one bomber had received a direct hit three more were damaged by shell fragments sweet rosie o'grady had escaped without a scratch the worst tragedy was the killing of a twin-engined bomber's crew when a shell exploded in their tent seven men had been sleeping there all that was found of them was buried the next day in a single grave the attack was the last one needed to make barry and his friends ready for a raid of their own every man in the field was fighting mad when o'grady brought them the news that they were scheduled for a bombing mission that day the rosie's crew cheered like maniacs we're going with the squadron to lay eggs at rabol the old man told them high altitude stuff you gunners will probably get your chance at a few zero fighters so make sure you load up with ammunition before we leave here come the carts to bomb us up now before rosie had taken her last five hundred pound egg on board the squadron commander was racing his fortress down the runway the other ten followed last of all old man o'grady took his ship up to her assigned position at the end of the right wing looking ahead barry blake thrilled at the sight of the other mighty fortresses flying in a perfect v of v's to his mind they spelled irresistible smashing power force which must in the long run blast all the little yellow invaders out of the pacific as the six hundred mile distance to rabol narrowed a tense expectancy gripped pilots and gunners the squadron was flying at high bombing altitude twenty five thousand feet every man was in his place for at any time now a swarm of enemy planes might appear the japs were struggling grimly to keep their grip on new britain barry knew many of their best fighter squadrons had been shifted there from other fronts in the past few weeks sixty miles still to go curly levitt's warning came over the interphone o'grady turned his head to glance at his co-pilot the nips aircraft detectors have heard us by now he drawled they're manning their guns and sweating some too i reckon a bunch of zero fighters will be taking off to bother us on the way in how do you feel about it blake as if i like a gun in my hands or the lever that releases the bombs barry laughed i feel just a little useless tex o'grady's smile faded out he gazed straight ahead 
you won't be useless if anything happens to me son he replied gravely keep your eyes peeled on every side now those zeros may not show up until after we've made our run but you never can tell sergeant hale in the bomber's nose began counting aloud through the interphone thirteen fourteen fifteen zeros dead ahead and a flight of three more just above them here they come flights two three and four pull in closer barked the command radio wingmen will step up the others down ready to repel attacking planes glancing up and to the right barry caught sight of still another enemy flight arrowing down at the fortresses he nudged o'grady and pointed with his finger the old man merely nodded keeping rosie in her place in the tight protective formation was his only task for the moment with a chattering roar that cut through the engine's thunder rosie's nose top turret and side guns went into action from the squadron's fifty caliber machine guns burst a storm of white tracer bullets these mingled briefly with the fire of the diving enemy then most of the zeros were below the flying forts rosie o'grady's belly turret opened up followed by tony romani's fire from the stinger turret in the tail as it ceased the thought came to barry blake we've knocked them out of the sky i thought those japs were tough fighters but this was like shooting clay pigeons there's nothing in sight but three zeros torching down below a slamming explosion jarred the fuselage then the side gun manned by curly levitt chattered harshly out of the corner of his eye barry saw the nearest fortress stagger out of place in the v pilot from the top gunner soapy babbitt's report came through the phones turret damaged by enemy shells machine guns still fire but can't aim are you hurt soapy the old man asked my left shoulder won't work right came babbitt's reply nothing to worry about i'll keep watch for more diving zeros ready blake o'grady spoke sharply watch your throttles we're nearing our targets now End of chapter seven